Howdy partners at Vero Christian Church. Good to see you this morning. I hope you're weathering the coronavirus as well as possible. Hey, we are in a sermon series entitled Obey Everything. You remember that's taken from the Great Commission where Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. So we're looking at the commandments of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew with a view toward learning them or reviewing them and then putting them into practice in our lives. We've started here with the Sermon on the Mount. That's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In the very beginning of that sermon, there are eight enigmatic statements that are known as the Beatitudes. Of course, that word Beatitude has a Latin root, and it means what? That's right, it means happy, it means joyful, it means abundant. So Jesus is teaching us, here's how you can have the abundant life, the joyful life, the happy life, independent of whatever the, our exterior circumstances are. This is an internal life that is available to all of us. So we've looked at a couple of those Beatitudes. The one that we are looking at today is in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, where Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now I know right off the bat, for most of the guys and, and probably some of the women, this is not your favorite beatitude. Because guys, when we hear blessed are the meek, we hear blessed are the weak. And we don't like that. We say, I'm not a weakling. I don't want to be a meekling. This is not really going to apply to me. And that's because this word meek has a connotation in our time that really wasn't there in Jesus' day and age. So hopefully when we get done, we'll, we'll have a better understanding of that. I'm going to say four things basically about this beatitude today. And the first thing I want to say is, while meekness is not weakness, what if it was? So what if it was? Would that be so bad? I can tell you on the research that I've been doing for this message, all of the commentaries are in a big hurry to rush to clarify, this is not weakness, this is not weakness, and it just makes me pause and wonder, is that in and of itself indicative of an attitude that we have that might be somewhat problematic? Uh, let me illustrate. There was a guy who was driving down a rural road, and he looked out of his window, and he, he saw, lo and behold, a three-legged chicken. And the three-legged chicken was running so fast, it was keeping up with his car, and he was doing 30 miles an hour, so he was impressed. And he thought to himself, let's see what the chicken can really do. So he punched it up, he gets up to 45 miles an hour, the chicken's running right there beside him. So he goes even faster, he hits 60 miles an hour, there's that chicken right there beside him. So they're cruising along at 60 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, the chicken veers off the rural road and runs down a long driveway to a farmhouse. Well, this driver is very curious, so he turns off and he goes down the driveway and he sees a farmer out in front of a farmhouse with a whole bunch of three-legged chickens running around. So he rolls down his window and he calls out, hey, farmer, what's, what's the deal with the three-legged chickens? And the farmer said, well, you know, it's, uh, there's just the three of us that live here, me, my wife, and my son. We all like to eat the, the leg of the chicken. He said, so I breed them that way. I decided to breed three-legged chickens so we could all have the piece that we like. And the driver said, well, I got to ask you, I mean, how do they taste? The farmer said, I don't know, never been able to catch one. Now, 
I can hear you laughing out there. I know you like that, but here's my point. We ought not be in such a rush to run past this kind of traditional cultural understanding of meekness and say, and be so afraid of this, the idea of weakness. Are we really so strong? I mean, has not the whole coronavirus experience demonstrated to us that so many things are outside of our control, just how dependent we are on others. And wasn't the very first beatitude having something to do with being poor in spirit, recognizing that we are weak, in many ways we are needy, we need God in our lives. In the Corinthian letter, Paul mentions that he had prayed to God about a thorn in his flesh and asked God to take it away three times. Each time God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And God said, my strength is perfected in your weakness. And so Paul went on in that passage to say, okay, then I glory in my weakness because when I am weak, then he is strong. So even though that's not really what meek is all about is weakness, we shouldn't be so afraid of that concept. Now, there's that. So let me move on. The second thing I wanted to say about meekness, as we seek to understand what this word actually means, I want to talk about Moses' style meekness. Now, you know, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that Moses was a very meek man. This is in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Moses was a very meek man, more meek than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now, obviously, this is Hebrew that was being translated into English, but when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, the word that was used there, translated meek, or in some modern translations, gentle or humble, is preus. Preus is the Greek word that Jesus used in the Beatitude to say, blessed are the meek. So it's the same word that's being applied to Moses. In what sense was Moses meek? Certainly not weak. Moses was a manly man. He was a masculine man. I mean, at one point, as a young man, Moses intervened to save one of his Hebrew friends from an Egyptian, and they had a confrontation. It was a mano, a mano, and Moses wound up killing the Egyptian. Then later on, after Moses had fled into the wilderness, there were seven sisters trying to get to a well to, to water their livestock, and they were being harassed by several shepherds. Moses stepped into that situation, and he chased off these men that were harassing these seven women. He defended them. It was just one against many at that point. And of course, we know later on that Moses stood up to one of the most powerful men in the world and that was the Pharaoh of Egypt. So we're not talking about a weak man, but he was a meek man. In what sense? Well, the sense, the Hebrew sense of this word meekness is of someone who accepts the will of God and the assignment of God in their life. And so Moses had a disposition toward God that was humble in that even though sometimes it may have seemed difficult to him what God was asking him to do, he humbly and meekly submitted himself to God's will, and he did it. 
he obeyed and he carried it out and therefore he was precious to God for that reason. So likewise, so when we're talking about Old Testament style, Moses style meekness, we're talking about a humble, meek attitude toward the will of God in our lives. The will of God for us may seem difficult sometimes. Uh, maybe the will of God in, in your marriage is challenging or in your singleness. Maybe where God has placed you in a job right now is very difficult or in your joblessness or in your retirement or in our health situation and certainly in what seem to be the deterior, deteriorating circumstances that we are living through right now. We may be going through some hard, challenging, and difficult times. Well, this is where this meekness can really help us out, is when we come to God with a humble attitude that says, I understand wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, I am to live out a Jesus-style life here and now. One of the ways we do that is by getting close to the Lord. There's a story about two women who were doing their laundry at a laundromat. And at the same time, they were mending their husband's trousers. <coughs> and uh, so at, at the same time, they were mending their husband's trousers. And the one woman said to her friend, she said, you know, it's really hard with my husband right now. He seems angry all the time. He's unhappy in his work. Uh, when we go to church, nothing pleases him. Preacher seems like an idiot. He doesn't like any of the music. And like the sermons, and there's a lot of tension in our home. The other woman said, well, it's really the opposite in our home right now. My husband seems content. There's peace in the house. Things are not all rosy in our circumstances, but we see God working, and we're looking forward to what he's going to do next. He loves the sermons. We try to put them to practice in our home. And as you might imagine, there was kind of a period of awkward silence after that. As one woman was mending the seat of the pants for her husband, the other woman was mending the knees on the pants for her husband. And you see what I'm saying right here. If we're going to accept humbly and meekly God's will for us right now, right here in our lives, we have to draw close to God. We may be having more time on our hands now than we've had in the past. This is the time to pour energy and effort and time into our prayer life and draw close to God. And He'll draw close to us. But this is, so this, I call this the Moses style meekness is a, is a humble submission to His will. The other thing I want to say here, then, moving to the New Testament, a New Testament Jesus style of meekness. Now, in uh, the Jesus style meekness, to illustrate this, I'm going to transition over here to my object lesson for today, which is a horse called Shay. So, the third kind of meekness that I wanted to talk about, the Jesus style meekness. Not so much the Hebrew background. This is the Greco-Roman world where Jesus lived. 
And the way that culture used the word for meek was strength under control. Strength under control. It was a word that would have been used of a wild horse that had been broken and tamed. And now the strength of the horse was under control. Now, if you have ever sat on a horse before, or even just stood next to a horse, now I mean a real horse, not a rocking horse, not a play horse, but a real horse, one word that will never come into your mind is weak. There's nothing weak about a horse. Full-grown horse, anywhere from 850 to 2,200 pounds. Shea here, 1,200 pounds. And it seems like it's all muscle. They are powerful. In fact, one of the ways that we measure power in a motor or an engine, we use the term horsepower. One horsepower is the power it takes to move a load of 33,000 pounds one foot in one hour. That's one horsepower. So these are powerful and strong animals. And yet, a tamed horse or a trained horse like Shea here is strength under control, or power under control. Because, because Shea has the harness, I can make Shea do anything I want to. Even though she outweighs me by 1,100 pounds, I can make her turn left, I can make her turn right, I can make her go forward or back, I can make her gallop or trot. Actually, I can't do any of those things. I don't know what I'm doing up here, but there are people who can. A trained cowboy or cowgirl could do all of those things with Shea and more. And that's what we mean by strength under control. I like the rodeo. And uh, for my last birthday in January, the whole family went out to the rodeo where we saw two different kinds of animals. We saw meek animals and we saw animals that were not meek. Now the meek animals were the horses. Those horses were used in racing, in roping, trick riding, all kinds of things like that. They're strong and powerful, but they were under control and they were being used for productive purposes. So I, call, I say that's the, those were the meek animals. The non-meek animals were the bulls. So they had the bull riders out there. The goal of the bull rider was to stay on the bull for three seconds. That's the only way they had a shot at the prize money. Stay on the bull for three seconds. There must have been anywhere from a dozen to 15 cowboys who rode the bulls that night. And out of that many, there were maybe two or three who actually stayed on the bull for three seconds. Why is that? Because the bulls were out of control. All that power, all that strength, no way to control them. Now, Horses have historically been used for great, to great good purpose. Travel, hauling loads, uh, plowing, even in combat. So horses, the horses were useful. The bulls, what good are they? There's no usefulness in the bull except maybe to make baby bulls. So the New Testament idea, the Jesus style of meekness, is our strength. Our power, such as it is, our personality, our character, under control, and therefore useful to God. And it's not something that we're just trying to gin up. It's actually 
a supernatural quality. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5 that gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Now that word gentle, that's a modern translation, but the old King James Version would have translated that word praus, praus, that Greek word, that's meek. It's the same word that Jesus is using in the Beatitude when he says, blessed are the meek. So the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness or meekness, praus, that's the Spirit in us helping us to exercise this meekness or this gentleness, this strength under control. If you think of draft horses, for instance, a draft horse is huge. Typically, they've been used to pull extremely heavy loads. A, a, a good draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. Two draft horses together, now what, what would you think that they might be able to pull? You know, if you said 16,000 pounds, you'd be wrong. Actually, because of the power of synergy, two draft horses can pull a load three times the amount that one draft horse can, so 24,000 pounds. If those draft horses have worked together in the past, if they've been trained to work together, they can pull a load that's four times the amount of one draft horse, or 32,000 pounds. Uh, so the, the draft horses are teaching us something there. And that is the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. In John chapter 14, Jesus said to his disciples that when he left, he was going to send to them a paraclete. That's the word in the original language, a paraclete. It's often translated comforter. But that's really not a strong enough word. A better translation would be a strengthener, a strengthener. The paraclete comes alongside us to strengthen us. He's a force multiplier. You know, the interesting thing here, if we talk about meekness being strength under control, the interesting thing is that we get both the strength from God and the control from God. So the Holy Spirit is giving us strength, but He's also the personality that comes alongside of us and helps us to tamp things down in their proper measure. So Aristotle, 100 years before Jesus, was talking about this word praeus, meek, and he compared it to if you had a continuum where on one extreme you had recklessness and on the other extreme you had cowardice, then the praeus, the meekness, would be in that perfect mean in between, which he would call courage. And that's what meekness is. We're, we're seeking for that that perfect norm, that mean, right in between the extremes where we become so useful to God and other people. Again, in Galatians chapter 6, uh, Paul uses the example, he says, if you have a brother or sister who's fallen into sin, he says that you who are spiritual, you are strong, strong, spiritually, restore that person, help to restore that person to the right way. But he says, but do so in gentleness. What do you think the original Greek word is that he's using? It's the praeus. He's saying do so in gentleness and meekness. When we're coming along trying to help someone who's fallen into sin, that's not the time to get on our high horse, so to speak, pardon the pun. That's not the time to be heavy-handed or harsh. That's when we want to be gentle and we want to be, we want to be meek and humble. Same thing in our families. We can apply this in our families. When we're talking to our spouses, guys, 
the Bible says we're the stronger partner, certainly physically. A lot of times we don't realize that we can come across with our voices, our tone, our posture, kind of harsh. We want to gentle that down and be meek and gentle with our spouses, ladies with husbands as well, certainly with our children. We want to exercise that meekness and gentleness in our families, in the church, and in our relationships with other people. Now, I want to say one more thing about meekness here, and that's the reward of meekness. I'm I'm going to climb on down from Shay, and uh, and we'll continue from there. All right, that worked out pretty good. Now, one more thing I want to say about meekness here, and that's the reward of meekness. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Did you know he was actually quoting his Bible there? He's quoting the Old Testament. It's uh, Psalm 37, verse 11. But the meek will inherit the earth and enjoy great peace. Some more modern translations might have right there, inherit the land. Of course, back in Old Testament times, it probably were talking about the land of Canaan or the the, the promised land. But it's interesting that Jesus integrates that into his Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. What is he saying there? I think there's at least a couple of things. Uh, He says they will enjoy, the psalmist says they will enjoy peace. If we have this attitude of meekness, if if we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, so our temper's under control, our character's under control, we're maintaining control through God working in us. If we're doing that, we're going to have more peace in our life. We just frankly are. We're going to avoid a lot of trauma and drama. We're not going to be the kind of person who escalates a problem. We're going to de-escalate. If you are a meek man or a meek woman, you're very unlikely, for instance, to be involved in a road rage incident. Because when you read about those, it's always two people and no one wants to back off. They're both escalating the situation. You're not going to be that kind of person. You're just going to be in control. So what I'm saying is it doesn't eliminate all drama, obviously. But as far as we're concerned, we're trying to maintain peace with other people because we have this gentleness, meekness, humility, and control. A soft answer turns away wrath, for instance. So does a humble, meek, and quiet answer. So there's peace. Peace on earth here and now as it is. The other thing, when Jesus says inherit the earth in the New Testament, I think he may very well be looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. I think he may be talking about heaven here. And we need to dial this concept of the future life in heaven into our thinking as much as possible. If we don't, we're going to miss out on a lot. We're not going to have all of the motivation that we need to have to sometimes deny ourselves and to sometimes tamp it down and to trust God for consequences or retaliation or revenge or justice and all of these kinds of things. We want to be looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth. After all, aren't you a little bit tired of the viruses on earth? Aren't, aren't you a little bit tired of hurricanes, uh, of, of drought, or of tornadoes, of, of disease? I mean, this earth, it's a nice place to visit for 70 or 80 years, but we don't want to live here for eternity. We are looking forward to a new earth. It's got all the good stuff and none of the bad. That's a great promise, a great reward to look forward to. So let me close with this. There was a farmer who was taking a plane trip and he was sitting there and he 
an atheist came in and, and sat down beside him on the plane. That was his seatmate. So the farmer uh, had his Bible with him and he opened up the Bible and he started to read. Well, the atheist turned to the farmer and said, why don't we you know, have a talk? Uh, plane trips go by more quickly if you, you have a conversation. The farmer looked at him, a total stranger, and said, well, what do you want to talk about? And with a smirk on his face, the atheist said, well, why don't we talk about the fact that there is no God, and there is no afterlife, and there is no heaven? We can talk about that. The farmer said, well, okay, those could be uh, interesting topics. He said, but let me ask you a question first. And the atheist said, okay. The farmer said, now, so you got three animals. Let's take a deer, a horse, and a cow. They all eat the same thing. They all eat grass. But the deer excretes pellets. And the horse excretes clumps. And the cow excretes patties. Now, how do you explain that? <laughs> and the atheist is kind of taken aback and really a little bit impressed by the intelligence of the farmer and his thoughts and his questions. And he thought for a little while. He said, I don't know. To which the farmer replied, he said, well, do you really think that you should be holding forth on God, heaven, and the afterlife if you don't know crap? Now, I'm sorry about that. That may have been a little bit over the top for some of you, but I want you to see my point, nevertheless. The point is this. Who are we going to listen to when it comes to the abundant life, the joyful life, the full life? When it comes to inheriting the earth, life after death, a new heavens and a new earth. When it comes to who we should obey, who has the authority, who knows what they're talking about, aren't you going to trust Jesus, the creator of horses and cows and all other animals? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God bless you.